Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlscott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. In this episode, you'll hear my phone interview with two staff members from Iowa State University. First, a bit of background on this episode. Here at Fovia, we've been doing research for an article on the state of coal use on higher education campuses. When I met Mary Rankin, Iowa State's Director of Sustainability, at the ASHE conference in October, we got to talking about this article as well as Iowa State's use of coal. Mary graciously answered my questions and offered to provide some more specifics when she returned home. When I got back to Seattle, I followed up with her, and to my delight, not only did she respond right away, but she proceeded to set up this conversation with her colleague Jeff Witt, the Director of Utilities. I didn't know what to expect from this conversation, but it proved really interesting on many levels. Jeff gives a first-hand account of running a large campus utility plant. I think you'll hear the pride he has in his work in support of the university's mission. I think you'll also hear his honest struggle to balance the often competing goals of fiscal and environmental responsibility. You'll hear Mary describe how she tries to affect long-lasting sustainable change. She talks about telling the untold stories and engaging people from wherever they are. Both talked about the need to broaden the frame through which we think about sustainability, as the problems are not always as simple as they first seem. Like any institution, Iowa State still has plenty of problems left to solve, but I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with two people that are going about it in a thoughtful and collaborative way. Here's our October 27th interview with Mary Rankin and Jeff Witt. Well, Jeff and Mary, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me today. And as I mentioned in the emails when we were setting up this call, um, we've been working at Fovia here on an article about the status of coal use in higher education and basically who's still using coal and, and how has that usage been changing over time. And as we've been researching the topic, we found it was not very easy to find specific publicly available information about central power plants generally. I mean, sometimes you could find general statistics in an old published presentation, you know, from a conference presentation or something like that. Um, and occasionally you could find the fuel history in a, in a greenhouse gas re emissions report. But even more difficult to find was information around why people were making the decisions they were making. We found lots of press releases about people saying they were going to say, get off coal or, or build a new boiler system or something like that. But it was usually more of a victory lap rather than sort of the description of how the decision making processes went. So I'm hoping to really dive into that conversation today. But I wanted to start first with just maybe if you could give us a little bit of a background on, first of all, your roles, and then just a little bit of background on the energy system you have at Iowa State, and then we can go from there. Okay. Do you want to start? Or? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, my name is Jeff Witt, uh, Director of Utilities for Iowa State. Oh, yeah. Um, Mary Rankin and the Director of Sustainability for Iowa State. And also, I have a little bit of a shared role with the city of Ames toward engaging the community in, in sustainability opportunities as well. Great. Well, could you give us just maybe some of the, we'll go with just some of the general stats like gross square feet or number of students and maybe number of boilers. We don't have to get too technical, but um, just kind of a, a thumbnail look at what the energy system looks like. Okay. Um, Iowa State, uh, we have uh, about 36,300 students uh, this, this fall. Um, 
total gross square foot's right around 14 million for everything. Iowa State's been around uh, 150 plus years. When the university started, it was a farm. So it's actually is out in the country and it's been self-sufficient for all of its life really as far as energy. The first power plant was built in 1891. Uh, it was a combined heat and power or cogeneration plant. We still use that process today, very, very efficient process. And the plant today provides all the heating, cooling, and electricity for the campus. We can generate all the electricity if we need to, or we do purchase electricity off the grid and through some other contracts as well. Uh, what are your major fuel sources? Are you you're purchasing some electricity from the grid, but are you burning coal, natural gas, fuel oil, biomass, or anything else? The uh, university has been 100% coal until about 2013 where we uh, started the process to convert a portion of the power plant to natural gas. So today, um, the power plant is capacity is 40% coal and 60% natural gas. We have five different boilers, uh, two burn coal. They are circulating fluidized bed boilers, very efficient, very, very good from an environmental standpoint. And then we have three boilers that are natural gas that do have a fuel oil backup, but it's very limited use. They're really they're really natural gas boilers. And we do have some flexibility in there of renewable fuels as well. Correct. The, the coal boilers can burn limited amounts of biomass, and we actually are permitted to burn wood, um, but we are not today uh, because of price. But we do experiment with biomass when opportunities arise. Got it. Where do you typically get your biomass sourced from? Any biomass would be primarily a local supply if it's going to be of any value, any, if it's going to be economic at all, at all, it's got to be close. You can't not transport it very far. Got it. Just because of the density of the energy in the bot and the wood yes. by the time you move it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and so it, you made that switch to, you said 60% now natural gas. What, how did that decision get made what was was that purely economic or was there more decisions around fuel mixture or like what what went into that decision uh iowa state as, as a lot of the larger universities are covered by environmental regulations um and there was an environmental rule called boiler MACT, which stands for maximum achievable control technology that uh was published first published in the early 2000s, but was finalized pretty much in 2013. So we had to comply with this new environmental rule. So we looked at several options of compliance. One was stay on coal and modify our boilers to meet the rule, all the way up to 100% natural gas. And there was some different conversions of coal and gas combinations, as well as a biomass combination in our evaluation. Interesting. And so the, if I understand it correctly, the, the MACT rules, they have nothing to do with carbon emissions. They're relating to particulates and um, maybe lead, or maybe you can help explain that a little more. Primarily, they were particulate, uh, hydrogen chloride, and mercury, and carbon monoxide. All right. No, thank you for that clarification. Well, one thing I think to add in too is that we also do have uh, it's a it's a it's a smidgen of our energy portfolio, but we also have some renewable um, energy sources within our portfolio as well. 
Right. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about those opportunities, Jeff, yeah. and to set that stage. So we have been buying wind energy um, from a local wind farm since late 2010. That's electricity from wind farm. That was about 10% of our total electricity last fiscal year. Okay. Yeah, that's significant. And we Which we had it. contracted for that amount from the beginning, but right. we've just recently been able to achieve it. Right which was one of the reasons we sort of stayed a bit conservative in what percentage we wanted to commit to. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, We also have a small solar panel and wind turbine on campus, primarily more for research opportunities and demonstration than than power production. And then we are talking about partnering with the city of Ames, who is looking to put up a community solar farm and the university will probably participate in that. Excellent. What type of scale are you thinking in that? They are talking uh, 1,500 to 2,000 kilowatt solar farm. Uh, we have talked to them about 500 kilowatts at this point. But that uh, so contracts aren't in place or anything at this point. Sure. Okay. Well, and um, sorry, is it true that you're you've been producing or you have the ability to produce all of your own electricity and but you are purchasing what what has gone into that decision? Are there times where it's cheaper for you to produce your own versus buying from the grid or or is that just more of a backup strategy for reliability or tell me more about that? Generally, the power we produce through our cogeneration process is the cheapest source of electricity. So we're always doing that. And that's electricity that results from just supplying steam through our turbines to heat the campus and, and cool the campus. So that's that we produce all the time. Uh, then we can produce more power with our generators, and, but that is a higher cost. So what our operators do is they evaluate what can we buy off the grid for, what's the price off the grid compared to what our production costs are, above the cogeneration load and make an economic decision every day how much to purchase and how much to generate. Got it. And if I if I understand it correctly too, in Iowa generally at this point, most of the electricity generation is still coming from coal. So if you're buying electricity from the grid versus making it on site with coal, you would be you know, using less fuel and uh, less emissions generally if you were to produce it on site. Is that correct? Or I guess it depends. It depends. I mean, yes, most of the power production in Iowa is still coal, even though there is a lot of wind. But uh, that power off of the grid probably produces less carbon than power we would produce beyond the cogeneration just because of uh, plant performance efficiencies and things like that. So in other words, if you're making steam for heating the campus, then you can make electricity very uh, efficiently. But if you're making electricity for electricity's sake or you know, basically operating as a power generation plant, right. then your efficiencies go down. Okay. Correct. Yeah. And that's, I re- Correct. remember that from a lot of other campuses I've worked on right. too. So we're buying from the grid. Uh, we make those decisions every day, but the, the contract with the wind, um, we, we take that all the time. Whenever it's being produced, we take it. It's typically twice the cost of other power we can buy, but we are taking it. Interesting. And what are the what are the electricity rates like in Iowa? Just you know, generally speaking, average rates. We uh, we are not a customer of anyone, 
So we buy wholesale electricity. Uh, we do not have a rate with the local utility or anything. So the electricity we bought last year was under two cents off the grid. Wow. Okay. Yeah. C compared to my friends in California. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> interesting. Well, it's it's been interesting for me too. I find that a lot of the campuses in that Midwestern or you know the Midwest generally, there's uh, I know Michigan State had a the ability to produce all their own power. Correct. And I think they still do. Yeah. Um, that seems more of a common theme out there as opposed to some of the more urban areas. Um, you would, you'll, you'll see that, I would say the land-grant institutions are probably the ones that you see that have the capability because they were not in cities. Right, right. You know? They, they basically created the cities in which they mm -hmm. now reside, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, university with a city, sort of, rather than a city with a university. Yeah. <laughs> right. Excellent. Yeah, don't tell the mayor. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mary, I, I wanted to ask you a question so sure. to get your perspective on this. Because a lot of the campuses I've worked in, uh, I see that the sustainability director's role is um, – you know, set up to be somewhat of a change agent. I mean, they're, they're usually really dynamic thinkers and and working on all sorts of cutting edge projects and things like that. Um, but then when you run into things like, you know, managing a large energy system like Jeff's responsible for, mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of dissonance between your roles. So I, I guess first, just your perspective on that. And then I'd be interested to hear from both of you, just sort of how you guys have interfaced with each other. Um, you seem to have a great relationship. So maybe <laughs> learn a little more about that. Um, well, and I don't know that this, you know, goes across all campuses, but I will say that my experience at Iowa State has been that I have an absolutely incredible team to work with. Um, being a school of science and technology, you know, the expertise lives here just by virtue. And I don't see my role to come in and, you know, up in the expertise, but rather how I can, um, you know, be effective in collaborating and supporting and enhancing, um, you know, increased efforts, um, a diversity of efforts and build upon the foundation that's already been here uh, and already is here. And so I've, I've been, you know, I've just had an incredible team. I, I have not encountered anyone at Iowa State truly that has said the sustainability thing is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it has very much been that, you know, everybody's been very supportive in um, we absolutely want to do what we can, but we have certain parameters within which, um, you know, we have to um, make decisions um, and to really consider all the facets of sustainability. So from a standpoint of having conversations with students and sometimes faculty and, and other staff, um, it's really in framing sustainability of saying, you know, sustainability is a three-faceted approach. So it is certainly environmental impact, but it's also an economic consideration and it also is a social consideration. Um, and so from our standpoint, for example, at Iowa State, every decision we make that may cause um, you know, budgetary pieces to increase on one side, we have to look at you know, what are we balancing that against in another manner. Um, and so I think that 
resonates a little bit more for folks. It's just it's just like at home, you know, with your budget. If you're going to get, you know, if you're going to move and get this particular item or go on this vacation, all right. Well, how are you managing your budget to um, to not necessarily do something else? And so I think that in having those conversations with folks, it's you know we have to we have to manage our consideration of where we put our resources and what ensures that we are doing. Um, we're doing our job in an efficient and effective manner, and also we are making sure that we're providing um, a full-rounded um, student experience, you know, for the students that are here. So I, I think I gave you a very long-winded answer. I apologize. But the intent was to say that, first of all, I work with a great team that's very supportive. Secondly, um, I think it's the in having discussions of what we're doing at Iowa State, um, and in looking at the decisions we make, I think it's an important reminder that sustainability just isn't all about environmental pieces, and we really have to expand that and look, you know, full circle. And then, um, you know, thirdly, what I would say is that I, I take very seriously my role in providing awareness and engagement and empowerment to our campus community and also to the community in Ames related to feeling more informed, finding connections, personal and professional to sustainability, and then helping people find, you know, those those relevance Velcro spots to where they feel that, you know, they can they can move forward, they can create change, they can make a difference, they can leave a legacy to future generations. I have seen on different college campuses sort of, you know, the sustainability director being in the role of, um, you know, I don't know if it would be the the gosh, we need to upend, you know, things and move a different direction and. I, I tend to see that I've got an incredible team to where I think that us all working together and collaborating together and finding solution, um, it may be in smaller steps than maybe some institutions uh, might move in or, or may feel that, that change is effective. Um, but from my standpoint, I think that, you know, the more you meet people where they are, look at common ground and collaborate, I think you can create change maybe um, in smaller steps, maybe over an increased time frame. But I think that change is sustainable because it's been done in a team sort of manner. So, again, it's a big, long um, answer, but <laughs> hopefully that's been beneficial. No, fair enough. I, well, <laughs> Jeff is laughing here too. Well, Jeff can probably attest to that the people in the sustainability role um, are are like to talk eloquently as opposed to people in <laughs> facilities tend to give fairly straightforward, you know, that engineering type responses. That so. is so, we talk about that all the time actually. So yes. <laughs> no, I thought this would be fun to have both of you on at the same time. It's kind of tied to that, I guess. We're, we're at an institution of higher learning. We take our role at the utilities department as part one of education as well. So right. we tour a lot of people through the plant right. and we right. talk about efficiency, we talk about energy conservation, we talk about sustainability and the, the pluses and minuses of all that stuff. So that's, it's all related. Definitely. Well, and I would I would add to that in saying that I, I really consider one of the most important pieces that um, I can put into my position 
is not only considering sustainability from a what are we doing at Iowa State or what did we do when we went to Iowa State, but more so in making those connections that then are transferable as our students, you know, enter their professional fields as they live in communities, as they make decisions about their, um, you know, day-to-day energy consumption and, and those choices, as they volunteer um, in organizations um, and as they raise families. And so, as Jeff mentioned, we talk a lot from this uh, about the idea that, you know, making overall change related to an energy system or something is a gradual process. It doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen with a number of decisions that cause a lot of impact in a number of different ways. But we can go upstream and we can make different decisions that impact um, the footprint that we all are making. And so we talk a lot to students about, you know, of course, um, express your consideration and concern and interest and in, in what, you know, the facilities choices and operations and policies that the institution may have, but understand that from a, um, a utility standpoint, we are only producing what is demanded. And so ha- you can make immediate change by just reflecting on those choices that you make on a day-to-day basis as far as the energies that, you know, that is demanded. And that immediately reduces our use of coal or natural gas or, you know, whatever. So we have a lot of those discussions Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well as here understand the overarching, you know, way that we go about doing business so that everybody really does have a piece of the puzzle um, that they can have an impact related to. You mean we can't just charge our iPhones and uh, text our friends to go yell at Jeff for not doing what he's supposed to be doing? And we can't just sit back and go, well, I am not the utilities director, so I have absolutely no connection to this. You know, it it really (laughs) does come down to each and every one of us has a piece of this puzzle. Um, And we have our own space and our own time where we can make impacts um, individually that collectively are very significant. So it's not just sort of, you know, um, looking forward. It's also looking, you know, um, right where we are. Excellent. Well, Jeff, I have a question for you then. I mean, by the fact that you were willing to come on this call with Mary speaks to the fact that you guys have a good relationship. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that relationship evolved from your perspective? Like, how did you guys get to, to work together? And I mean, just, the history of that. Should I leave the room, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, how long have you been here? You've been here <sighs> 10 years? Nine years. Okay, nine, yeah. n- nine years. Yep. So we didn't have a sustainability director before that. Mm-hmm. We were still making decisions based on economics and that, doing the right thing. Mary came and started asking a lot of questions. And, <laughs> a uh, lot of questions. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Questions that the students had been asking mm-hmm. for the most part. So we took it as an opportunity to get our story out there and to convey what she just conveyed, that they, the students do have an impact and, and their choices make differences to what we do. Mm-hmm. And so it, I guess I would call it a very symbiotic relationship where we share information and uh, help out, help each other out, and that type of thing. Excellent. So in other words, she was able to kind of be a voice for your department. Because I, I, I mean, I know in the interactions I've had with most facility folks at higher ed in particular, I mean, these are really thoughtful, caring people that care deeply about making sure 
you know, the lights stay on, the campus runs smoothly, and that the mission of the institution can be fulfilled, you know, the research and the, the mm-hmm. education that goes on. Um, but, but, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it's, they don't necessarily tend to be the most articulate people from a, you know, outwardly public communications perspective, like m- many folks are in sustainability world. So, I mean, is that, was that a big help to you in that sense, or um, was there more to it than just that? I would say that uh, I'm an engineer, so I talk like an engineer. I make presentations <laughs> like an engineer. And uh, she would fluff that up a little. <laughs> <laughs> which has been which has been good because it helps connect to the students more and faculty every, I mean everybody mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so right. It's, no that's great you know I think we've been a good team yeah I hope you pu- felt the same yes, yes, I, <laughs> okay I good public relations and and uh, marketing is is really I, I would say the role that Mary is playing on our behalf. Well, there are a lot of great untold stories, and I think I find it so often that, you know, from the outside looking in, things can look very simple. And I think some of the great connections that, um, you know, Jeff and his team has been able to to make, and we've been able to facilitate in many different arenas, from student government to, you know, faculty senate, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. has been sort of the, wow, it's way more complicated and convoluted when you're on the inside um, than you would think. And I I think there's been a lot of appreciation for the real considerate and in-depth and thorough thought that uh, Jeff and his team, you know, really goes through in these decisions through the different interactions that we've been able to have. Right, right. No, that makes sense. Well, so in in full disclosure, I should say, you know, my primary job is in a lot of cases is working with institutions on carbon mitigation strategies. So, you know, with that in mind. you know, helping campuses move off of fossil fuels is a big part of what I do. You know, that said, I'm, I'm very much a pragmatist and, and echo a lot of the things you've just said, because I recognize this is not the kind of thing where let's shut down the coal plant and turn on a bunch of solar panels and we're done. I mean, it's right. not even close right. to being true. But it can look um, very which, simplistic that which, way. Which is <laughs> some, where some of the students come at. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Without necessarily taking the responsibility of their part in it or, you know, the <laughs> the benefits of the labs that they get to use or the... <laughs> right. The fact that anytime you switch on the lights, they're there. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so... But but with that said, I mean, um, I mean, you guys have. It sounds like you've made some pretty major changes, in, you know, in 2013, talk to me a little bit about more than what does the future look like for your campus? Because, I mean, do you see coal use in 20 years from now? Do you see natural gas use 30 years from now? Like what? I mean, maybe you don't think out that far necessarily, but I, I imagine Jeff, you probably have to at some level because yep. I mean, you're planning quite a bit into the future. So tell me about. What does that look like for you guys, or what is, and even if there aren't like commitments at this point, what like how do you guys think about that? So I guess in 2013 we made the decision that we did, um, and that decision was based on environmental improvements, based on replacing old equipment, and based on economics, and. Uh, and we went into this at that time. We were going to replace our old coal boilers with gas boilers, and it's going to cost you about 10% more in your utility bills because gas was more expensive. Right. Um, that is not the case today. Gas is cheaper than coal. 
So we are burning a lot more gas than we anticipated and a lot less coal for economics. Now there obviously are environmental benefits to that as well. But if the pricing were to change and economics goes back towards coal, we have that flexibility. That was right. one of the, that's one of the things that we sold the project to the administration on is you're not tied to one fuel. You've got some flexibility to minimize cost to campus. Right, and that is that is something we run into a lot when when working with campuses of you know locking in a technology where that once you've made that decision you can't go back. I mean that's correct. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. And, and this this project was forty two million dollars. It's not a small deal. Right. So going forward, our coal boilers are about going on 30 years old. They will probably run another 10 to 15 years before they're going to need to be replaced. I, there is no commitment, but I would I'd bet a fair amount of money that we will not put another coal boiler in at that time. So you th- when they run out, that's probably the end of it. That's probably the end of it. So Interesting. we would be putting in natural gas. Do I see natural gas going away as a fuel anytime soon? There's got to be some new technology to make that happen. I mean, I can get electricity from solar panels. I can get electricity from wind turbines. Um, it's pretty hard to heat buildings with those technologies and the quantities of heat that we need. Um, and and our cooling buildings, I mean, yes, you can use electric air conditioning systems and things like that, but most of what you see for sustainable energy sources are electricity. electricity our buildings, only 28% of the energy used by our buildings is in the form of electricity. Right. The rest is heating and cooling. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So. Yeah. And have you guys looked at at, at large scale geothermal uh, or you know geo exchange type systems? Has that been something in your equation so far? Or I, I know like Ball State has done that recently. Ball State Apparently. has done that, um, on, obviously on a large scale. Um, we have some small buildings out in the outskirts of campus that have geothermal systems. But we have not looked at a a wholesale, you know, putting in ten thousand wells for geothermal right. like Ball State did. They were like five thousand, but they're a lot smaller than us. Right, right. And I'm sure that's that would be at the scale of the investments you've already made, right? So correct. doing that. Oh yeah, correct. And and they made that investment because they were also looking at having to replace coal boilers because they were a hundred percent coal. And uh, replacing old boilers and replace and environmental rules or changes, so they made this choice to go to geothermal, which obviously significantly reduced the amount of fossil fuel that they're using, but greatly, greatly increased the amount of electricity that they need because it takes electricity <laughs> right. to run the geothermal system. Right, right. Which, yeah, which puts them more at risk in terms of if electricity prices were to spike or they weren't able to generate it another way. Right, and they're in Ohio, which is pretty heavy coal. Right, yeah, so (laughs) it's, it's, 
push on the problem and it pops out the other side sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, we are looking at lots of ways of lead buildings, those types of things to reduce our energy footprint mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in new facilities. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't see the fossil fuel thing changing anytime soon for the heating and cooling. Got it. So you need somebody to invent something new or, or some other way of getting that much thermal energy in place or the price of geothermal systems to come down substantially or something like that for the Correct. To change at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, Got they it. do make these new modular nuclear reactors, but <laughs> I've suggested that to some students. That hasn't gone over very well. We, we actually put that in all of a, a lot of our surveys up front. We always have that as an option, and, and it's, it's always funny to see how many downvotes it gets. Uh, people don't, <laughs> don't, 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 don't want to put one on their campus, at least be the first one. Because it'll only take a couple small ones for Iowa State. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, well, what, one other thing that was interesting I, I wanted to point out was just and I've seen this at a lot of campuses is those there's, there's these inflection points like in 2013 for you guys, it sounds like you made a pretty massive shift, but it was kind of forced by, you know, equipment end of life or other decisions that were going to have to be made anyway. And those are the points at which you can kind of make these giant leaps rather than just the incremental changes of, you know, um, turning off another light or something like that. Correct. But, yeah. Well, well, great. Although I, I, I would just interject for just a second and say that sure. while that's the case, I also really commend Jeff and his team from the standpoint of, you know, being very, I don't know, you know, light on their feet or whatever, so to speak, as opportunities come up. Um, you know, we we do look at how those can be implemented. So the the joint wind contract with the city and right. the the solar project, and if we suddenly had an industry, you know, pop up that had this incredible amount of biomass um, as a waste product, um, you know, I I think. I can't imagine, just as we looked at um, doing the test burns with wood, I can't imagine that we wouldn't say, hey, let's do test burns to see if we can incorporate it. You know, so while there are those, you know, moments that maybe nudge you for, you know, different reasons, I also have been so impressed from the fact that, um, you know, Jeff and his team are always very open, always very considerate of opportunities as they arise and not necessarily in a... Um, you know, oh, it's year 15 and we should look at something. So, (laughs) Sure. Well, in other words, you wouldn't have been able to make the shifts you made without having done some of the testing and piloting of projects ahead of time to kind of know what you were getting yourself into or even have those uh, opportunities to look at. Correct. Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, we we obviously understand that there is a desire by our students, by by the campus to be more sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so we are watching and looking for these opportunities. We're in touch with all these players that are developing things. And, and you know, the wind contract, uh, there was somebody going to develop a wind farm. And we, we got involved with the city of Ames and said, there's an opportunity. We can do this. It's going to cost us a little more money. But is this something that the university wants to do? And they said yes. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at with the solar farm as well. It's the same thing. It's going to be a little more expensive, but it the the solution is is a combination of technologies. It's not just one. Exactly right. 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 Well, let me, let me ask you kind of an open ended question. So, you say you did have um, a giant influx of capital. 
um, to, you know, sort of magic, unrealistic, but magic moment where they said, okay, Jeff, here's a big pot of money, go build the system you want or use it in the way that you think would be most beneficial. Like, I don't know, say it's another $42 million. What would you do with that? Like, how would you spend that or invest that would probably be a better way to say it. Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it just for the you know just for okay, the uh, <laughs> um, I mean we we have a very efficient plant, and this project we just finished was designed to allow us to enhance that efficiency even more, because your your efficiency is driven by the assets that you have in the plant. So if if we had another chunk of change to put into the plant to we would be looking at what can we do to make the plant more reliable and more efficient for the long term uh, and and that would probably be replacing the coal boilers with probably a gas turbine you know heat recovery steam generator type system that would give us more operating flexibility and and improve efficiency. Right. That's good. If you had if you didn't have to spend it only on the plant, would you choose to spend it in the plant or the buildings or, you know, anywhere on the campus? That may not be part of your job regularly, but if you were king of the campus for a day. Well, there there are there are a lot of opportunities in the buildings right. to save a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Um Again, you have the assets that you have, and uh, and no one has enough money on their campus to address all the deferred maintenance and things that there are, there are out there that need to be addressed. There would be some huge impacts there. Mm-hmm. You'd have to weigh those. I mean, if you if you had a windfall of money, where would be the best place to spend right. it? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a it's a fun question to ask people just to to see you know, where their minds go, but, uh, great. Well, this has been a a fascinating conversation. I'm really, it's been uh, fun talking and hearing the, the back and forth between the two different perspectives here. And do you guys have any other sort of closing thoughts you'd like to, to leave us with? Again, I, my hope for this podcast was primarily that I could go out and learn things I didn't know and, and get to hear interesting voices and things like that. So I, I, my hope is that it, includes people in both of your roles so but if you could just you know say a few closing words to that type of audience Mm -hmm. do you want to start (laughs) i think you know the awareness of sustainability in the energy field is uh you know that's where everybody focuses uh there's a balance and you know mary touched on that there's a social part of that there's the economic part of it that's what we're trying to convey when and we have lots of students that come over and say well you got to quit burning coal and i said okay i understand what you're saying and here's why we do what we do and uh they understand that so i think that as mary mentioned part of our role is education and, and training these folks to go out into the real world and do this do the same stuff for somebody else. So right. that's really what we're about. And no one cares how sustainable we are if the lights aren't on. Right. 
Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. So, <laughs> so that's a piece that we talk about as well, you know. Definitely. I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask permission to use that as a, a pithy expression from time to time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would. I would just certainly echo what uh, Jeff said and and um, say that from a from a sustainability director standpoint, um, truly without functioning in a. I mean, it, you know, you, you use the the word change agent, and I think that you know, looking at approaching something from a change agent standpoint is only really effective if you're really approaching things in a collaborative manner. Um, involves stake, you know, in, involving all the stakeholders, meeting the stakeholders where they are, and then coming together um, to, you know, see where the most impact uh, can be made. And um, certainly not just looking at the immediate impact, but you know, the the ripple effect of the impact of, you know, how are we how are we making change now, but how are we leaving um, change um, toward what the next generation, you know, enjoys. What what sort of a world are we living the next generation? And I continually tell students that, you know, if we look at our lives the way they are right now, somebody, um, you know, many years ago, even decades ago, cared enough about the life that we would enjoy, that they made changes in their lives. Um, they put the work uh, into looking for different solutions and and uh, challenging themselves. And we owe it to the generations that follow us to do the same thing. I love it. That's a great place to end. I just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed uh, hearing both of your perspectives. And thank you so much for being willing to come on and, and just be up open and um, transparent about, you know, the, this, these difficult topics. It's, it's like I said, as we were researching and trying to just find raw data, you know, that was one thing, but I, this is much more really what I was looking for about just why, why is the world changing? How is it changing? How will it continue to change? So I think, um, this, while I set out to do one thing, this was a pleasant surprise to find this conversation. <laughs> well, <instead>. I'm glad. <laughs> we're happy to assist. Thanks for reaching out. A fun meeting on a Friday afternoon yep. uh, as we're getting snow in yep. the air. That's great. Well, I'm going to go on a walk with my wife. It's her birthday today. So oh, we'll enjoy, some of the sunshine. Well, enjoy that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Bye. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. As always, you'll find show notes on the website at campusenergypodcast.com. Please keep those show ideas coming and perhaps take a moment to write a review on iTunes to help us get the word out about the show. Thanks for listening.